0: So when you hear the term theory, what immediately comes to mind? Immediately? Immediately.
1: The thing that comes to mind is like complicated because I feel like we all have such different relationships with the idea of theory. And I also think that it changes so much according to the field you're in. What immediately comes to mind for me is music. there's a lot of theory involved in music
0: Mm -hmm. for me theories are just ideas so that's the first thing that comes to my mind
2: well for me theory would be the compilation of statements rules and definitions from a specific discipline
1: but in the humanities i think just theory is something that we cannot
2: do without but also we really want to do without it
1: Great. Okay, so that was Room Tone, and now we're recording, so I'd say let's get started.
0: Okay, should I introduce things?
1: Yes, please.
0: Theory, from the Greek Theoria. When the ancient Greek historians Herodotus and Thucydides used the term, they simply meant observation, appearance, or view. But with Plato, and especially with his student Aristotle, the term eventually came to be associated with activities of the intellect, like contemplation and study, an association that continues into the present. The Western history of ideas witnessed an explosion of interest in theory with the advent of the 20th century. The intellectuals of the Frankfurt School of Critical Theory, which had its heyday in the decades surrounding the Second World War, argued that the merely interpretive role that had been assigned to the theoretical disciplines of philosophy, literary studies, history, psychology, and others was inadequate. These disciplines were inadequate, they argued, to the task of criticizing the oppressive ideological and material forces present in Western capitalist societies. From that point onward, theory came to be associated in the humanities, more often than not, with critique. Shortly thereafter, structuralism, and then post-structuralism, with such French intellectuals as Jacques Derrida and Michel Foucault emerged as intellectual movements whose purpose it was to challenge the foundational, literary, and philosophical assumptions of the modern West. In the latter half of the 20th century, these two streams of critical thought jointly gave rise to a wide variety of theoretical discourses, such as feminist theory and post-colonial theory. Theory and theories have only continued to grow and multiply into the 21st century. In this episode of What Does That Mean?, our panel takes a stab at the question, what does the term theory actually mean? Hello, everyone. My name is Jerome, and today we will be discussing the concept of theory. And uh, I'm a master's student at the University of Manitoba studying religion, and I am joined by three lovely people, and I'll allow each of them to introduce themselves, but we have Liz, Anthony, and Wersha. And uh, maybe Liz, I'll start with you. If you could just introduce yourself, your field of study, and anything else that you'd like to share with us.
1: Yeah, thanks, Jerome. My name is Liz Fertig, and I'm a writer, a literary translator, and a seventh year PhD candidate in comparative literature at the University of Michigan. Um, My main areas of study are sound studies, radio, podcasting, and audio culture. Um, I'm currently completing my dissertation on radio drama by Austrian women authors in the post-war period. It's titled Radio Poetics, Sound, and Gendered Subjectivity in the Austrian Hörspiel uh, after 1945, and Hörspiel is the German word for radio drama. Um, And I'm excited to be here today.
0: Cool. Thank you so much. Um, All right, next is uh, Worsha. Introduce yourself, please.
2: Hi, this is Worsha. Worsha means blessing in Mongolia. Uh, I'm a PhD candidate in the Department of Folklore and Ethnomusicology at Indiana University. My research focuses on folk art with a special concern for traditional textiles across Asia and on the craft practices in southwest China and along the Silk Road. So currently I'm writing my dissertation. Uh, I'm also working as graduate assistant in the Institute for Advanced Study at Indiana University. So I'm glad to be here, join you all for the podcast.
0: Wonderful, thank you, Wersha. And last but not least, Anthony.
3: Hi everyone, thanks Jerome. So my name is Anthony. I'm a first year PhD student at Rutgers University and I am um, most interested in researching Victorian literature as it has inscribed the transition to fossil fuel economies. So I'm very excited to be here and to have this conversation about what we are always talking about without any specificity, but theory.
0: Awesome. Yeah, thank you, everyone. Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's just lovely to have such a diverse group, I think, of, of scholars tackling this question. Uh, should make for some interesting discussion for sure. Um, okay, so how I'd like to begin is I, I'd like to, I think, just have us all grab the bull by the horns and just see if we can come up with a definition of theory and um, and uh, if we succeed, great. Uh, <laughs> we'll have succeeded where most others have failed. so that's that's awesome. Um, no small achievement there. But in any case, even if we fail, it'll be interesting. Um, so here's how I thought we'd do this. I thought, um, I'd have each of you pick um, what you believe to be the closest synonym to theory. But each of you has to pick a different one. So, I don't know which one of you wants to go first. Um, but so we're we're aiming for three close synonyms for theory. Maybe, Anthony, since you went last, if you want to go first, if I could put you on the spot, take it away. Yeah,
3: absolutely. So I have always thought of theory as a framework. Um, that's the way I view the term. Framework. Yeah. Did you want me to say a little bit more about that
0: or? Um, Yeah, say say a little bit framework. We'll take that term framework, but maybe unpack that connection for us a bit, if you could.
3: Yeah, so whenever I think
0: about theory,
3: I am usually, um, I have kind of like a visual metaphor for it. So I like to think of it as the... I guess the best way to think of it is almost like the window through which I'm viewing something else or the framework through which I'm viewing the object of study. Since I'm usually looking at 19th century kind of, you know, Victorian fiction uh, or European fiction more generally, um, the framework that I apply to that is the energy economy. How does it relate to the, you know, the transition to steam? How does it relate to the, um, use of coal as the kind of energy source and then of course the social effects of that transition and everything like that so i would say that theory that i use is more generally possibly called the energy humanities but that's mm-hmm. another thing <laughs>
0: <laughs> awesome yeah thank you anthony very interesting okay so we've got framework now wersha um could you give a synonym a close synonym for us and then if you'd like you can unpack it um but if not that's totally fine too
2: yeah but i think about theory so um, for for me for folklore we don't have like a single ground theory because we all join theory from anthropology sociology literature studies and other fields so if the one word i pick for theory it's interbis uh, interdisciplinary
0: okay interdisciplinary All right, good. So two solid offerings. Uh, Liz, what about you?
1: Uh, My mind has been spinning since you posed this question. A couple of of things come to mind. I mean, this is maybe a bit facetious, but I almost want to say my synonym is post-structuralism, because in, in comparative literature, there really is like when you when you say theory, you're often kind of shorthanding a specific theoretical tradition. You might sort of write that as capital T theory, um, which seems to be mostly referring to, I mean, not so much one tradition as two, but you would have sort of um, French post-structuralist theory like the Jacques Derrida's and Roland Barthes of the world, and then sort of combined with, in a weird way, Frankfurt School theory, um, potentially also combined with psychoanalytic theory, and then of using these um uh disparate but combat compatible um philosophical discourses as a means of understanding literary texts and the way that they relate to culture
0: Mm. interesting okay so we'll we'll definitely explore the compatibility idea because i think that's really interesting when talking about theory and um you know does a theory have to be coherent or do theories have to be coherent in order to be kind of subsumed under the same Meta theoretical umbrella. Um, we'll get into that. But okay, so post structural would that be your word?
1: Sure, post structural, post structuralism. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah, that that's that kind of cluster of phrases. Good. Okay, so we've got post structural, post structuralism. We've got framework, and we've got interdisciplinary. So those are our three words. So here's the challenge. All right, I, I didn't share this with you guys ahead of time. Uh, and so I'm putting you all on the spot right now, but now we're going to try and define theory. Um, and, and probably we're going to address the capital T type of theory, but if we address the lowercase, the T theory, that's fine too, but we're going to define theory without using any of those three words. So can't use post-structural can't use framework can't use interdisciplinary.
1: This is hard, Jerome. I thought that you were going (laughs) to say that we need to write a definition (laughs) using all three words. And I was like, that's easy. (laughs) Yeah, you tricked us. Yeah,
0: Yeah, I did. As I was writing, as I was, you know, kind of preparing the notes, I was like, how can I make this really difficult? And, And how can I just, you know, how can the listeners just have this opportunity to like hear us just squirm as, as we stump struggle the experts, stump so. the panelists.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's about what's the yeah. second word? Very important.
3: <laughs> you are really good at this, Jerome. Very good at this. Um, I would say that I, I guess I can volunteer for tribute Go for if you it. don't, if y'all don't, if y'all don't mind. Um, so taking on Jerome's excellent challenge, I would define theory as. Oh boy. Okay. A cluster of concepts or maybe a single concept that can be used to explain, uh, let's see, I would say maybe human interaction or human behaviors or something like that. I think that that's that's how I want to say it. Yeah. So a cluster of ideas or a single idea that can be used to explain human behaviors. Okay.
0: Yeah, yeah. So like an explanatory set of ideas or concepts or I guess we're using idea and concept interchangeably there but or a single idea or a single concept but something which explains is that kind of the the nucleus of of your offering is it you know kind of a, something that explains
3: yeah definitely And you said it much better than I did thank mm-hmm. you
0: <laughs> and, and explains human interaction or something to do with humanity, the humanities, right? That was kind of a caveat there as well. Yeah, exactly. So I think
3: that's probably my interest in, you know, literary studies and the humanities more generally. So yeah, it's something that I feel like when I see theory, or when I approach theory, it's always as a means to explain, you know, what humans are doing.
0: Yeah, good, good. So the object field is, is human stuff somehow you know, and, <laughs> and maybe we could have a debate about what, what that is but that's for another episode and another time <laughs> um okay good so yeah so wersha and lis what do you what do you two think about that definition do you have anything that you'd like to add or
2: yeah <clears throat> to think about theory or theoretical approaches um also uh, another word in my mind is uh, context contextualized studies mm. so um so like folklore can be my medium, but how to uh use the media to interpret and to analyzing the different aspects of this media okay so in the different contexts mm. So for me, the folklore can be my, my media, but there will be guiding me, but looking through different contexts.
0: So you're adding on to uh, Anthony's definition, right? Adding the idea of context into there. So awesome. All right. Well, Liz, what do you, what do you make of these two um, offerings? Is there anything you'd like to add or anything you'd like to...
1: Yeah, I love that we're creating a collaborative definition here. I feel like we could keep building on this. I love what Anthony and Warcha have said so far. Mm. I might add that in my work, in a very general sense, I think what um, theory helps me do is talk about the relationship between or think through the relationship between the um, particular, specific, historically situated and um, a broader pattern or trend or tendency on a, a social civilizational scale. So kind of building bridges between, um, the aesthetic and the social between a particular work or text. Um, even sometimes, and I like to work in a first person mode. So even between my own experience and, um, something more general and universal.
0: Okay, so let's, let's try and put those three ideas into a single like sentence if we can, or a single statement. So someone asks you, one of your undergraduate students asks you to define theory. How are you going to incorporate these three things? So we've got contextualization, right? And we've got, I think Anthony was helpful in providing that basic framework um, of a set of ideas that explains human stuff you two, listen, and Wersha, you, you were really helpful in fleshing that out. But maybe, like, if I could just inc- um, kind of press you to add what you're saying onto Anthony's definition. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense?
3: Yeah, I really liked both of what um, Liz and Wersha added. I feel like um, I really like that uh, Wersha is really kind of putting into the front the idea of context, because all the humans that we are, you know, studying are from all different places. Um, And then, so everything is going to look very different for each one's situation or experience or their location, all these different things. And then I also really like that Liz introduced this kind of angle of almost like scale if you want to call it that so that whenever you were looking at something you know just a small group of people or something like that theory also allows you to kind of step backwards and kind of I guess extrapolate Mm. from um that small group to the larger social kind of ideas so yeah but all three of these um I do I also I really love this collaborative definition because I feel like I've I've never understood it in such a robust way before (laughs) But yeah, it seems like that's kind of what we're uh, introducing um, through the three of ours contributions is that theory is a way to kind of explain um, or better understand human behavior in a variety of different contexts, wherever they might be, and whatever your own kind of, I guess, intellectual or disciplinary context might be, but also with the eye of trying to build out your findings into a broader kind of like, you know, knowledge base, if you will. And maybe that's where we kind of get into theory can kind of lead you into a just a way of knowing things like how do we know things?
1: Yeah, it's really interesting, Anthony, because I think um, one of the things I was thinking about as you were speaking is that um, the way we use theory in literary studies is fundamentally interdisciplinary because what you're doing is you're grabbing discourses from other disciplines. So, you know, when we use psychoanalytic theory, that's like, you know, in its origins, practically a medical science, obviously disputably, but it's a way of explaining human behavior and human consciousness and what lies beneath consciousness and how that influences um, the creation of art, the experience of looking at art, being a reader, what it means in a broader social sense. And those are tools that are necessarily built into the study of literature. So it's really useful to be able to grab um, these established ways of understanding yeah, how the mind works.
0: Um, I'm going to move us into some definition by example, but I think a lot of what we've discussed is going to carry in to this next section. So. What do I mean by definition, uh, by example? Well, <clears throat> here's the first question. If you could name some names, like what are, what are the names that you, coming from the background that you're coming from, what are the names that you associate most closely with theory? Even books, what books are fundamental? Um, and maybe let's start with lists. Let's start with you. What names do you associate with the term theory?
1: Sure. Um, so working at the intersection of German studies and media theory, the the big names that I personally um, spend a lot of time with are um, Adorno. So that would be kind of touching on the Frankfurt School, Benjamin uh, Kittler. But I think the big names that come to mind, I feel like when we sort of invoke that capital T theory, I guess... Um, that, and this is, I think, why I mentioned post structuralism early on is that I think uh, Derrida is one of the big ones when it comes to kind of theories of language, theories of the text. Um, Foucault can't really get around Foucault.
0: Yeah, no, that's helpful. So, and that that kind of uh, speaks to what you mentioned earlier that capital T theory is sort of split between kind of the French structuralist, post structuralist types. And the Frankfurt School, you know, in all the generations of the Frankfurt School, right? I'm assuming like you wouldn't you wouldn't exclude the most recent generation of the Frankfurt School, like like Axel Honneth or um, Jürgen Habermas.
1: I wouldn't Um, exclude them. I don't work with those authors myself, Um, but yes, I you know I I wouldn't. I'm not a Frankfurt School purist by any means, so I'm I'm not going around policing where people draw (laughs) those boundaries. But yeah, for sure. Um, And I should also say, I mean, I think um, something that um, is bound up in my personal experiential understanding of theory is that it's a traditionally um, European white male dominated discourse. And I think that that is also a reason for um, maybe some of the often unarticulated skepticism um, for theory capital T theory uh-huh. among um, graduate students. I think rightly so um, at the same time, I, I believe in engaging these authors, you know, with a critical eye. I think there's, there's no reason to, to throw out an entire discourse because we have criticisms of it. I think quite the opposite.
0: Right. Right. Okay. Wonderful. Um, where's she What are the names in your field that you'd associate with theory? Interested to hear. Yeah.
2: When I think about definition for the folklore the definition is a is a like artist communication in small group by uh Ben Amos so you see the communication that's the words from like performance Theory so the big guy for our area will be Richard Bowman mm. yeah it's so a verbal, verbal arts as performance mm. so we folklorists and an with more uh because our methodology will be like working in the field work like interview observations so we more guide by doing work in the area so so like performance theories we're working in the field yeah guiding us. So when thinking about the definition, they definitely have to be like, uh, recording each way that deep com communication through different media, uh, like verbal or material culture from the crafts, how they making, how they communicating themselves by making the crafts.
0: Yeah, yeah, okay. And so Richard Bowman, you said, was the name yeah. that is associated with that that development in um folklore
2: yeah, studies also, yeah also hungry glassy they are very classic very big big guy in our field yeah
0: okay wonderful awesome thank you uh anthony you could share some of your names with us and if there's overlap by the way if there's um if there's overlap names that's already that have already been mentioned no problem
3: Well, yeah, no, I mean, I think one of the scholars that really motivates a lot of the work that I do, especially looking at, you know, economies um, and transitions within uh, economic modes of production is, of course, Karl Marx. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So kind of old school, right? Um, But of course, there's been a lot of critiques of Marx and Marxism. And so I think I'm informed by a lot of the more recent ideas about um, Marxist uh, kind of critiques. But mostly I really am looking at the ways in which people are interacting with, you know, socioeconomics. Uh, I think that's a term that I use a lot in my own work. And then beyond that, um, beyond the economic angle, again, I mean, I guess I'm really showing my stripes as a 19th century person here. I'm also really interested in Friedrich Nietzsche's critiques of um, society and religion and morality, and just his style of critique more generally. So, I feel like those two appear on my um, in my bibliographies the most often, mm. and I'm usually like building up from their ideas, um, and then using those to read the kind of the literature that I work with so yeah I would say those are my big two but of course I have done just to kind of reiterate some of the uh stuff that Liz has said uh Foucault of course is a big one Foucault is a big Nietzsche person big kind of Marxist person so I definitely want to kind of echo um the fact that a lot of these are as Liz pointed out you know older white european guys um and so i find that kind of really interesting as well um and i want to reiterate that these ideas though are sometimes used in amazing ways like with especially with like post colonial theory and ideas of liberation and stuff like that that um that they can be used in a many, many, many different ways. And I think that a lot of what I like to do is kind of use these theories, knowing that they're kind of, you know, 19th century, uh, a lot of the times, like, from 19th century, kind of, like, some variety of racist um, in ways that kind of um, liberate people and for their liberatory aspects. So, yeah. Interesting.
2: Yeah. They, they are interdisciplinary, like, uh, influenced by Marxianism. Yeah, cultural materialism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we also deal with like uh po- uh power, class and gender economic relations. Yeah, they're all related. Mm.
0: So each of these figures, like especially um, I guess 19th century theorists, like they like Marx being a good example. Um, even among the Frankfurt school, like the Frankfurt school were all influenced by Marx. Um whether positively or negatively, right? Whether they reacted to him or whether they changed his ideas. Marx is kind of, um, you know, in the family tree, Marx is somewhere close to the top, right? Um, and so it's, it's interesting that though we all have different fields, um, some of those figures show up in each of our works nonetheless, right? Um,
3: yeah, Jerome, it's almost as if like we're getting around this idea of maybe like a genealogy of even the term theory, yeah. right? I feel like we we're, yeah. we're like I feel like we're lifting up the coffins <laughs> on some of the uh-huh. um some of the theories that mm. theory is built on that <laughs> Right. Right. <laughs>
2: yeah, all the theory being used in different contexts, right? Like I'm from East Asia mm-hmm. and the different environment uh the social context and the difference.
0: Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Okay, I'm liking where this is going. So I've got another related question, uh, but maybe we could just spend a little bit of time on this. Um, But just to give viewers kind of concrete artifacts to associate with, uh, with the term theory. So what, what kinds of works do you associate with theory? And let's talk about like, capital T theory, not like, because if we if we use the lowercase t theory, obviously, we're going to get Arguably, almost every kind of scholarly product is in some way theorizing, right? Like using theories to explain phenomena. Um, but capital T theory is is maybe a little more specific. So, what are the texts um, that y'all associate with that word?
3: I would say that the text that really got me interested in theory and that really kind of, I guess the first time that I really began to like resonate with this idea and concept was um, it's kind of like, a, it's a post-colonial kind of like, um, oh, the word's escaping me, but it's like fundamental to post-colonial studies and it's France Fanon's Black Skins, White Masks. And in that text, he's really working through psychoanalytic theory, And um, he creates this, again, kind of gave back to this idea of liberation. He uses psychoanalytic theory to explain the existence of Black uh, people in you know, the Western kind of colonized world. And uh, that, to me, was one of the reasons why I think that, you know, maybe these ideas are coming from... uh, questionable sources or something, but if someone like Fanon can kind of like, you know, really build an entirely new and liberated identity from these theories, that there might be some power in them. And so, yeah, that's, I think, the first text that really kind of resonated with me on a, I guess I would say a personal, intellectual, academic, like on every level.
1: Right. Mm, I just, Anthony, what you're saying inspires me to think about too how, um, you know, maybe Theory is less a thing and more um, a process, kind of a living discourse, and um, also that that would speak to the my earlier mentioned issue that some people have with theory that it's sort of associated with a, you know, particular um, dominant demographic group and to the to the detriment of of the rest of us um, that you know critiques of previous theoretical. Um, texts are what theory is built on so that there is this kind of accruing nature to it. And I'm just thinking too of like texts that I work with that are, you know, for example, feminist writers like Sarah Ahmed intervening on phenomenology or, um, you know, uh, Sian Nye is another writer I work with who's a contemporary um, aesthetic theorist working in a feminist paradigm who will kind of go in and operate on Kant and there will be this kind of new thing that comes out of the the joining of two minds working in, from very different um, historical contexts and experiences. I feel like the main idea of theory is to, it, it tries to kind of take everything into account, like the specificities of context, but then trying to generalize it into something that can be applicable for everything.
0: Well, let's, um. Let's move on to some things. I have a quote here that I'd like to share and just, I, I imagine that we'll, we'll probably all disagree, although maybe maybe um, some interesting conversation will emerge from it. Um, so this is, an, this is from Stanley Fish, a 2008 New York Times article. And he's talking about the humanities, and I think we could apply this to theory um, also. But he said he wrote that the humanities don't do anything if by do is meant bring about effects in the world. And if they don't bring about effects in the world, they cannot be justified except in relation to the pleasure they give to those who enjoy them. To the question of what use are the humanities, the only honest answer is none whatsoever. Um, So this is coming from a literary critic which is interesting. So, um, do we agree? What do we think about that assessment of things? Um, maybe Liz, I'll start with you.
1: Yeah, I think it's an interesting quote. I don't, I don't know too much about Stanley fish, so I'm not sure whether we, uh, fundamentally agree or disagree about kind of the, the value of literature in society. Um, But i'm interested in this quote i don't i don't knee-jerk disagree i think for me what it brings up is the question of um what what we mean by use and usefulness utility um you know for me to put it in marxist terms it makes me think of exchange value (laughs) um you know i and i i i question that too i i I bristle at needing to define um, what I value about literature in terms of um, what it contributes to um, a, a concept of like profit-driven utility, maybe, because I think that that is how we tend to, whether, whether um, consciously or not, how we tend to think of um, the usefulness of you know anything, things, ideas, um, right. institutions. Yeah. Nowadays. Um. So yeah, I mean, I do think you know there's a version of this quote that I do agree with. That maybe if we're asking what is, um, what do the humanities do? What does literature do? We're maybe asking the wrong question. Um. Mm. And and I do I almost agree too that I mean I, I appreciate the invocation of pleasure. I think that it is for me largely about experience and process. I mean, not just um, on a personal, individual level, but also in terms of how it connects me with um, other people and puts me in community with other people who enjoy who enjoy things that I do and and enjoy being in conversation about them. To me, I think that that is an end in itself. That it's it's fundamentally important and human in a way to be. Um, thinking and experiencing and talking about art and literature so that's kind of my foundational belief for the humanities
0: mm. yeah one of the things I got from what you were saying Les, is the this idea that maybe his his kind of um his refusal to defend to jump to the defense of humanities by kind of caving to this um the standard of like you know, whatever, whatever is useful, whatever's good has to bring about some kind of economic benefit. Mm -hmm. Right. That's kind of what you're agreeing with here. Right. Like if, if fish's posture is that we don't have to defend ourselves, we shouldn't have to defend ourselves on that basis. Um,
1: yes, if that's what he's getting at, then I agree. Yeah. (laughs) Having not read the whole, um, article, I can't be sure, but yes, exactly. Right.
3: Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Others. What do you think?
3: I would say that it's very difficult, I think, to um again just kind of echo what Liz said. It's very difficult. And I don't know who Stanley Fish is. Um, and then but this quote is, I think, incredibly uh bombastic, which is interesting to me. I'm not against kind of, you know, very um very loud stylistic choices and whatnot, but I do think that what in some sense, we are trained to do is trying to uh, to figure out kind of, you know, what is the motivating force behind, you know, social structures that are much larger than just kind of the individual. Like, this is kind of where I see myself as a critic or as a literary theorist or something like that, um, is trying to Like, I'm really interested in what is making this person think this about the humanities. Um, And so I guess I really just want to say that in a lot of ways, I feel like it is echoing the uh, lack of the lack of that self-reflection that I think that that especially with the work that we do, I think is kind of front and center, you know, it's really trying to get to the basic part of I guess human action and human motivation and everything like that and so and really just trying to expose all the different uh, things uh, all the different determinants that go into that and as you know Wersha has been really amazing pointing out that it's very contextual we're all motivated by different things so um it's going to look different every time as well and I mean as Liz was saying again I keep I feel like I keep echoing um that's really enjoyable for me. Honestly, I really kind of accept that. And I really revel in this idea that, you know, um, I th- I mean, I think it's like freedom and like the little F freedom or something like that, right? Like it's humans just doing their thing and figuring things out. And then we get to kind of like, you know, come on the back end and try to, you know, add a little bit more context and add a little bit more nuance to that. So yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. And for me, it it all depends on what is meant by pleasure too, right? Like, Pleasure, um, well, coming from the classical tradition, of there there are baser pleasures and there are um, higher pleasures, right? And so, and I think pleasure too should be rooted in truth in some way. Um, and so that's kind of what I think any science should be all about, right? If you look at the Latin root of science, scientia, right? A system directed towards coming to the truth of something right um yeah so yeah go ahead Rasha.
2: yeah I'm I'm field worker <laughs> I like bring my my backpack going just just going to the field interview people and set up living with with people in the village and uh, I just did my field work in Southwest China for eight months I just live in a village and uh, every day I wake up and uh, bring bring my backpack and talking with the people living in the villages, so so when you're in the field, there's so many questions bomb out. You're asking why you why you working, why you're making the food, uh, what are you wearing today? So there's so many things come up. So we, after you get a lot of data and a lot of conversation uh, interview from the field and you're thinking if this theory can explain or you will be guiding the bad theory, but more you learn from the field. Right.
0: Right. Wonderful. Yeah. I like that. Um, Okay. Well, let's let's end. Um, I have a question that I'd like us to end with. and that that question stems from a quote from the philosopher Gilbert Ryle. Um, so he has this quip um, that we and he's applying this to discourse about method, or we might even say theory. Um, and he says that we run as a rule, worse, not better, if we think a lot about our feet. I think it's an interesting quote to wrestle with uh and, and to conclude with can a work of scholarship be too theory saturated yeah I'm interested to hear your thoughts about that
1: i i love that question
0: okay yeah no i really
3: love this um and i think it's a really great note to end on so thank you uh, jerome for putting this awesome kind of like really generative um quotes and stuff together for My us pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> but i really want to say that this makes me a little bit more happy about theory and about kind of humanism and whatnot only because i feel like it's coming from a critique of overthinking things which is like yeah okay i'm like you know um maybe kind of like you know a kind of philosopher or a kind of scientist it's like a scientist has the same anybody who is as you kind of pointed out is who is in search of a truth or something like that is always in danger of overthinking it like i feel like this puts me in the same kind of mold as like you know a heavy kind of like stem researcher or something like that it's like Well, you're going to be led really far astray unless you know exactly what it is that you're looking for. And I want to say that's how I approach my own work as well. Like I read a bunch of different texts. I do all these different things. But in the back of my mind, I'm always looking at the aspect of liberation. You know, how can a, a human being fully kind of be themselves or be, um, Be safe, and I um I don't know why these words are failing me, but to be fully kind of in there in themselves, um and how can and how is this literature in some sense kind of reflecting a world that that's not possible, um but also I want to make sure that I mean there are so many different ways that we can do this, just as there are so many different ways of, you know, oppressing folks. I mean, we've all talked about kind of gender theory. We talked about sexual theory. We talked about Marxist economic theory. There's all these different things, all these different forces that are in some sense checking um, the human. So it's like, I usually look at the more economic factors, but this ending on this really does make me feel like I'm in good company. And in a funny way, it's like, oh yeah, this is something that we might all struggle with, all of us who are trying to find some sense of the truth.
0: Yeah, wonderful. Thanks for that.
1: Yeah, I find the quote super generative. I my thoughts on it are still a little bit scattered, but it's making me think about um, what we've already touched on in terms of the you know kind of theory practice distinction mapping onto a mind body distinction, um, and I'm also thinking about what Wershia just um, talked about in relation to her field work, um, and that the truth about things is something that is only accessible through practice, right? I think theory is something that helps us codify and share those truths, but it it has to be um, flexible and we have to account for historical change and, you know, all the different particularities that come into any given situation we might be observing. And I think so many of those truths are fundamentally embodied and- if we try to solve them or understand them by thinking alone um it becomes a little bit rigid and reactionary by nature of um not responding to actual experience
2: yeah let your feet be free learning from the field
1: i love that <laughs> yeah. yeah
0: yeah wonderful well i think that's where we'll where we'll end things thank you all folks for uh, a wonderful discussion thank
3: you
1: thank you everyone everyone. this was amazing thank you Jerome for hosting this pilot episode of What Does That Mean was produced, edited, and mixed by Anthony Tello and Liz Vertig our host is Jerome Falk episode art is by Worsha, music is by Parlay and Galen Huckins this show was created by Jerome Falk Liz Vertig, Anthony Tello, and Wersha as part of the Winter 2024 Podcasting Institute, hosted by the National Humanities Center and the San Diego State University Library Digital Humanities Center. Thank you to the NHC and SDSU staff for supporting this project. And special thank yous to the voices you heard at the top of the episode, which came from interviews with our friends and family. Thanks for tuning in.